Dr. C here. Before we begin, I'd like to make sure that you're aware that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp is a leading provider of online therapy, and they provide video, phone, or live chat sessions with a licensed professional therapist. It's affordable, and you can connect with your therapist within 48 hours. Now, as a special offer to our surviving narcissism listeners, they'll offer a 10% discount for your first month of professional therapy. All you have to do is go to betterhelp.com, that's betterhelp.com, slash surviving narcissism podcast. I know that many of you would find online therapy to be quite life-changing, and so go to betterhelp.com slash surviving narcissism podcast, and many thanks to the people at BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of the Surviving Narcissism Podcast. I'm Michelle, the Program Director, and I would like to start this episode with a quick introduction. For those of you not familiar with Surviving Narcissism, it is the product of many years of work done by Dr. Les Carter. Dr. Carter is a best-selling author and therapist with more than 40 years of experience specializing in anger management and narcissistic personality disorder. This week, Dr. C's topic will be Lies the Narcissist Wants You to Believe. Hey there, Team Healthy. I'm so pleased to have you with me once again, and we're going to be talking in an our ongoing way about this whole pattern of narcissism and specifically how you can stay out of the snares that they put in front of you. You know, one of the things that narcissists want to do is they want to keep you as dysregulated as possible so they can turn around and say, see, I'm the healthy one here, and they like to keep you in a down position. The name of the game with narcissism is mind control. They want to have, uh, they, they want to control the narrative uh, regarding who you are and how you're supposed to prioritize and how you ought to fit with the, the world that they've concocted around them. And I, I'm here to say we can do a whole lot better than that. We don't need to allow somebody who has an unhealthy view of life to determine what is right and what is wrong. Now, today I'm going to be talking to you about some of the most common lies that a narcissist wants you to believe. Now, before we get into that, I want to kind of uh, pull back just a tad and put a bit of perspective on this. Let's keep in mind that the entire persona of the narcissist is built upon errant patterns. Now, that's so important for us to recognize. The, their starting point is a starting point of inappropriateness. I mean, the, the narcissism is defined by selfishness. It's defined by the need to control, and specifically the need to control you. Narcissism is defined by their presumption of superiority. They have a very condescending attitude toward you. Narcissism is built upon a lack of empathy. They're so completely consumed with themselves that they don't care what you think. And then it's also defined by their attitude of entitlement. So when you put all of those ingredients together, it's like, okay, you have to do some serious rationalizing 
in order to, to uh, convince yourself, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good way to go. So what they do, and they in fact do their rationalization, they build a false self, they hide behind a wall of strong defensiveness, and they commit themselves to all sorts of distorted thinking so that they can prop up their errant way of living and so that they can try to maintain a public image of superiority over you. And this then becomes the impetus for them pushing their distortions onto you. Do you understand how that works? Uh, let me let me go back with you and just kind of get, get you to take a little perspective in your own personal life. When you were, let's say, seven, eight years old, you may have been a bit fear-based at times about how honest you, were, uh, you could uh, allow yourself to be. For example, let's suppose that you've uh, made a blunder or you've misbehaved with uh, a friend or a sibling and the authority is coming to you saying, What's going on here? And how did you contribute to this? Now, a seven or eight year old kid can already have those wheels turning in their mind thinking, okay, can I say what's really honest here? Or can I really admit the fact that I did do wrong? Or is that going to get me in a lot of trouble? And so kids can be very fear-based and sometimes they'll say something like, well, Billy's the one that did it, not me or I didn't do that at all. And they can deny and they can tell lies and they can be inappropriate because unfortunately they're little kids and they haven't figured out what to do with their fears. They haven't figured out what to do when they are cold busted. And so they go into cover up mode. Now, ideally, if you're that authority figure with that child who's exhibiting this kind of struggle, you want to give them, give them some coaching. And you want to let them know, hey, look, uh, you're not going to get in trouble for telling the truth. I, I want us to make sure that we can learn how to do life well. And so when I ask about you know, uh, your contribution to these problems, I want you to just be honest with me, be straightforward, and then let's talk about what that's going to mean. And you can still have consequences, but you can turn it into a teaching moment. And then the child learns more and more, hopefully, to become comfortable in their own skin. And so openness and vulnerability and honesty and self-disclosure is not something they dread or they fear, but they actually see that as being something that's part of their own growth trajectory. Now, when you think about what I just described, do you suppose that that describes the way a narcissist thinks? And the answer is no. They never get to the point where they think that truth and openness is something that they can, can afford to do. To them, they learn that truth is um, is something that might get them in trouble. So they go ahead and, and uh, make up all sorts of fictions. I'm better than you. Uh, I, I can't let myself uh, appear to be weak. And so in their maturation process, they never get so far that they get beyond that fear. They constantly live in fear of being exposed as human. Okay. And then, like I say, they rationalize their entire pattern of life and they honestly believe that it's reasonable that you should buy into the lies that, and the distortions that they have already bought into. So having said all of that as a way of introduction, I'm going to go through, let's see, I have eight different lies that narcissists want you to believe. Okay. 
And it's so important for you to realize that this is what's in their mind. And keep in mind, they may not actually say these words specifically, although sometimes they will. But uh, these lies are uh, through and uh, are through and through in the way that they engage with you. Okay, the first lie that I want you to be aware of: narcissists will more or less imply, "I am truly superior to you." You need to believe that. Now, narcissists, uh, because they fear being caught or they fear being exposed as inadequate, they think, well, if you have inadequacies or if you have exposures, that must mean that you're a low person, which it doesn't mean that at all. It just means you're human, but they put that judgment on there. So they decide, well, what I have to do is I have to maintain superiority. And so narcissists, they elevate themselves, but by definition, they have to have a foil to be the inferior person. And that's where you come in. Uh, when they see you and interact with you in whatever uh, ways you do, and then when they see you differing from them or having preferences or distinctions or certainly making mistakes, then uh, they'll go straight into the condescension mode and they have no particular understanding or appreciation for equality rather than saying, well, you have your thoughts or your feelings or your struggles. Yeah, I do too. We're both equal. They can't do that. Uh, they, they honestly believe that their worth, that their uh, contributions to humanity, such as it might be, are better than yours. And so if they were to admit that there is no such thing as this false superiority, then that would require them to have humility and that would require them to have vulnerability. It's like, no, I don't do that. Let's just go ahead and, and go with that proclamation. I'm truly superior over you. And that means by definition, by default, you're less than me. They want you to believe that. Another truth, a second one, or excuse me, another lie that they want you to buy into is they honestly believe that you really need to give your power over to me. Okay. Now keep in mind, I mentioned just a few minutes ago that narcissists have a, a highly controlling style. Uh, they have all of this insecurity uh, that their personality is, uh, is built upon, but rather than saying, yeah, sometimes I struggle with insecurity, they decided, well, if you get to be the one who calls the shots, if you get to be the one that, writes out the agenda, whatever that is, and then you enforce the agenda, then that means you win. And so they honestly convince themselves that it's right and proper for you to filter whatever it is you do through them. And you'll notice that this is illustrated by their many criticisms and by their uh, what, use of the what I refer to as their imperative thinking, you'd better, or you ought to, or you should, or you're supposed to, in other words, I'm the one who sets the pattern here and you don't need to be a free person who gets to think for himself, drop that freedom stuff, come over here and be what I tell you to be, give your power to me, filter your life through what I say is right and wrong. And so in the narcissist mind, you don't have the right to be distinct. You don't have the right to be decisive. In other words, they say, I require you to think like me. That's a lie. But I know that many of you, you've been exposed to that so many times that you begin questioning, well, is it okay for me to be distinct? And, and after a while, it has that, that erosive effect on you, and that's exactly what they want, okay? Now, a third lie that they want you to believe, 
And that is, you would be nothing without me. Okay. So not only do they want you to stay in the subordinate position, it's like, mm, that's not enough. I, I want you to see that actually you are bereft of any kind of decency, unless, of course, I show up in your life. Uh, I, I recall uh, talking with, uh, with one woman and, and uh, she had been complimented very nicely by some friends for managing this, that, and the other with, uh, with the friend and being so helpful. And as she was trying to explain that to her narcissistic husband, his response was, who made the money that allowed you to go do this? And who's the one that gives you the time that you can go do these things? I mean, you're over here, you think you're this nice person. And uh, the bottom line is none of this would happen if you didn't have me backing you up. <laughs> and as opposed to saying, hey, that was really nice. I'm glad you had that positive experience. It's like, no, I'm going to strip you of your positives. I'm going to strip you of your good intentions and your good behaviors. And we're going to make it all about me. And then they want to try to take credit for anything good that happens to you. And, you know, this woman's over there thinking, I was just trying to share with you something positive that happened between myself and my friend. And it turns into a criticism session. It's like, right. That's because the narcissist thinks you're nothing without me. Uh, whatever good happens to you, it probably emanated from me. Whatever uh, negatives happen, obviously that's all your fault. I had nothing to do with that, but that's part of their, their lies. Now, a fourth lie that these individuals can uh, throw at you, and that is uh, they'll say, it's your job to keep my ego propped up, okay? Keeping in mind that uh, subconsciously they're fear-based individuals. They have a need for all sorts of affirmation because they're empty on the inside. So they have to get their supply from you. They've convinced themselves that, that it's your job to make them feel good about who they are. And they're constantly fishing for compliments. They're constantly uh, wanting you to, uh, to uh, hold them up as the ultimate good person. I had this one lady ask me, uh, she said, you know, if a narcissist hates me so much, why do they care about what I think? And it's like, well, good question. It, it's illogical, isn't it? They hold you in disdain and yet they crave your acceptance. They crave your praise and they don't see the gross inconsistency with that. All they know is, no, it's your job to keep my ego propped up. And that's their lie. The truth is, no, it's your job to keep yourself propped up. Do you have any kind of internal ingredients that are worthy that you can build your self-esteem upon? And the answer is no, but of course they can't be honest enough to say that. Now, a fifth lie that narcissists want you to believe, and that is, you know what? You owe me. Narcissists can sometimes do nice things for you. They can be helpful. Uh, they can actually do favors. They can uh, offer all sorts of assistance. Sometimes they pay compliments about you to other individuals. And you're over there thinking, wow, that's really nice. But over time, you realize this niceness, this goodness, this decency that they uh, put out there is just all a matter of collecting chips. It's like I did A, B, and C. Let's see, that gets me 10 points. And so uh, over time, it's like, okay, look at all the nice things I've done for you. Look at how helpful I am. So what are you going to do for me? Oh, wait a minute. You're, you don't care. You're an ingrate. And so you're always in that person's debt. 
And it's, it's sad to say, because you don't want to be a jaded kind of person, but it's sad to say that even when they come toward you with decency and friendliness, it's like, okay, where's the hook? Because they can't just simply be altruistic for the sake of being altruistic. When we say altruistic, that uh, you look for ways to be helpful and kind and, and, uh, and engaging with other individuals with no particular concern about what kind of payback you're going to get. You just do it because it's in you to do so. Narcissists instead, they'll do nice things if they think it's going to get them, to, uh, them something. And then when you don't give them eventually whatever it is they think you owe them, then here comes the anger, here comes the shame, here comes the guilt induction. And it's like, okay, I can see where this is going and I'm not going to come out too good on this one. On our website, survivingnarcissism.tv, we offer various courses. One of them is entitled, This is Me, Establishing Boundaries Despite the Controllers in Your Life. Inside each of my courses, I break it down into modules, and then each module consists of various lessons that have a video, written materials, and questions for personal reflection. And inside This Is Me, we talk about uh, defining who you want to be and then staying inside that definition. We discuss assertiveness skills, how to stay strong without being defensive. If you would be interested in, in enrolling in this course or any of the others that we have, go to our website, click the courses link, and you'll receive all the information for how you can enroll. I hope you would find them to be quite helpful. And now, back to Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Carter. Now, a sixth lie that narcissists want you to believe is this, and that is your feelings, your opinions, your interpretations are irrelevant. And whenever you're in a discussion with them, and it can be something about something going on inside the family, or it may be at work where you're trying to figure out how you're going to manage certain items there at work. It could be that you're talking opinions or interpretations in a social scenario. The narcissist is over there thinking, well, there's you with all of your feelings and thoughts and interpretations. And then of course there's me. And of all the people who are here in this equation, well, the rest of you would be, uh, uh, would gain a great benefit if you just shut up and listen to me. And so when you come along and say, well, I do have my perspective, the narcissist, before you even say anything, has this notion in their mind that says, who cares what your perspective is? And again, this is them hiding behind the false self that they're entitled and nobody else in the room has any kind of worth beyond who they are. And it, it's so egregious and it's so glaringly obvious that they're uh, trying to build themselves at your expense, which is no good way to build themselves up all, at all. And yet that's what they, they do. And they honestly want you to feel like you're irrelevant. And so many times you can just shut down or sometimes you can come on too strong in the other direction and you can work real hard to persuade them that no, 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 I really am okay. And you're just being a, a jerk. Either way, they've got you going. They don't want you to believe in yourself. A seventh lie that they want you to believe is when you and I have problems, it's your fault. Now, I understand, you know, speaking on a personal level, I, I wish that I could tell you that everything I've done is perfect. I, I don't make mistakes. Well, of course I make mistakes. And sometimes I miscalculate. Sometimes you do. Each one of us has the capacity for something. 
that's problematic. And a narcissist can't sit down and say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. That goes back to that equality thing. And so I know that sometimes you blunder and we need to talk about that. But other times I blunder as well. Sometimes if you did something wrong, it may be that I was actually doing some things that contributed to that. We need to be honest about all of that. And that requires a sense of objectivity and humility. And it's like the narcissist is thinking, no way. <laughs> if there's a problem, I'm not going to admit anything. In, in fact, all that does is it just weakens me. And so instead, what they do is they have to maintain that false self-serving veneer by saying, well, if there's a problem here, then it was your fault. For example, if the two of you are in an argument, then what they'll say is you're the argumentative person here when they're over there just shouting you down. Or if, uh, if a disappointment arises and the narcissist is thinking, ah, that didn't go the way I wanted it to go, they start looking for the scapegoat. Ah, you're the scapegoat. And if there's a problem, it has to be you because it can't possibly be me. Their ego is too weak to be able to say, I, I have problems. Or like that little child that doesn't uh, have the, uh, the strength to say, I was wrong or I made a mistake. They're thinking, no, I've got to continually cover myself because you don't know if you're going to get in trouble and I'm not going to take that, uh, that chance. And then an eighth lie that a narcissist wants you to believe. And that is, you have made my life miserable. I wonder how many times you've been exposed to that one. Uh, there's, they're constantly the victim. If there's a strain, if there's a difficulty with you or anyone else, it's like I say, it's that other person's fault. Therefore, the responsibility for their difficult approach to life is always on someone else. And I'm thinking, okay, you're going to tell me that I made your life miserable. You see, I'm going to guess that you're going to be miserable no matter who's in front of you. And they can't, they can't uh, accept that at all. You were miserable long before I ever showed up on the scene. And I just happened to be the player on the stage, but their emotional instability is not your fault. They'll, they'll obviously make it your fault, but they have no acceptance of the fact that the ingredients that are the defining ingredients to their personality were already in place before you ever interacted with them one single time. Okay. Now let's understand, underscore here, a narcissist ego being as fragile as it is, is very dependent upon making you believe these lies that I just mentioned. Now, I'm hoping that as I go through these different lies that they have, and you realize that it's, it's part of them propping themselves up because of their fear, etc. I'm hoping you can begin thinking, you know, I don't, I don't have any requirement within myself anyway to go along with this. No, thank you. It makes no sense. And I'm not going to participate in something that's absurd. So let's begin asking the question. What if you don't go along with those lies? Um, of course, I'm going to make a very strong prediction, and that is, well, I'll tell you what's going to happen if you don't go along with their lies. The narcissist will simply double down on the lies, and they'll just come on even more forcefully. And they can they can uh, be all the more uh, critical. They can be all the more shaming. They can uh, ridicule you. They can uh, throw out consequences that are not fair and they're not meant for uh, for good um, coordination. They're just simply meant to 
punish you. They can uh, hold you in contempt. They can hold uh, grudges over you. So if you don't go along with these lies, there's going to be some pretty serious blowback. But even when they double down, what happens if you still don't go along with their lies? See, let's, let's underscore something here. A narcissist's lies do not have to become your truth. And if they keep coming after you, insisting that you have to buy into what I'm telling you. And then if you decide, you know, I, I see, see it for what it is. And in all good conscience, I can't allow myself to be disrespected in the way that you're wanting that to be. So, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm hoping that there can be a mindset in you uh, where you realize, you know, this, whenever they come at you with these lies and then they double down on you and go into the critical mode, this is not about you. Okay. You're watching a person unravel in front of you. And whenever you're gone from that person's life, they're going to go and, and, and perpetuate these same lies to someone else. And then they'll eventually unravel there. Um, it's not at all likely that you're going to be the one person who's going to convince that narcissist that he or she is full of lies and they keep throwing those lies or perhaps partial truths onto you. Narcissists have an incredibly low level of self-awareness. Like I say, they built their lives around a false self. And so except the fact that you're not going to have harmony with someone who has these lies that, uh, that underlies their personality. And you're going to need to keep your expectations with these individuals extremely low. That's really sad when you think about it. Cause if you're here saying, well, I want to be a person that's committed to good relationships. And you look over that narcissistic person, it's like, come on, join me. Why don't you? And you'll notice that you want to plead your case and you want to be convincing. You're going to need to drop that because, uh, uh, healthy relationships are built on truth and honesty and trustworthiness. And that's not something that's part of the narcissistic pattern. Now it is necessary for you when these lies are coming at you, that you are willing to stand up for yourself. And there can be times when you say, I'm not buying into that or uh, respectfully, I disagree with you. And then you establish your boundaries and, and, and let it be known. I have beliefs. I have convictions. I have stipulations that I'm going to live inside of, and I'm not going to let you pull me out of that. And so it's good for you to have a sense of self-preservation, but you don't want to overdo that. And by that, I mean, you don't want to just think, well, I've got to get them to understand my boundaries and I've got to get them to go along with me because like I say, it's not going to happen. Instead, make sure that you know yourself. The narcissist wants to be the one who says, I know who you are and it's not all that good. And I need to be the one that is the gatekeeper to whatever it is it is that we need to know about you. But no, we're not going to allow the narcissist to have that, that role in your life. Know who you are. And then it, it's, it's, it uh, is so important for you to ask, what do I believe about me? The, all of these lies that the narcissist wants me to believe are coming from their place of emptiness. What do I believe? And one of the, 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 the neatest things that I would do when I was in the counseling office for so many years with individuals is I would ask them, you know, what are some of your beliefs about yourself and what does it mean to have respect for yourself? And I would have multiple people who would say something to the effect. You're the first person that's ever asked me that question. Thank you. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's sometimes it may be that you've been so exposed 
to this uh, harshness and this imperative thinking and this demand that they uh, that goes along with their lives that you forget no I get to be the one that decides that I'm a free person and and I get to choose for myself and so as you learn to have more and more of an understanding of who you are and what you believe about yourself then that becomes the foundation for your sense of resolve. So I'm going to underscore what I said just a couple of moments ago, and that is do not let a narcissist lies become your truth. The truth is you're a person of dignity. You're a person who deserves respect. You're a person who can live in civility. And when the narcissist uh, more or less through their own behaviors implies I don't know anything about that stuff. And I'm certainly not going to join you there. Then I'm hoping your response to that can be, I realize that. That being the case, I'm going to have to go ahead and live according to my good truth and to my sense of well-being without your participation. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Surviving Narcissism. We are glad to have you on Team Healthy. Team Healthy. I'm so glad to be here with you with another episode of our Surviving Narcissism podcast. I have a very interesting topic here that I want to discuss with you. And this is going to be one where I can almost guarantee virtually every one of you has struggled with this particular question. And that is, we're going to go into the question, why can narcissists not pull out of their narcissism? What is it about them that keeps them so stuck in the ways that they frustrate you and how inappropriate they are? And to you, their impropriety may be so glaringly obvious that you just want to go over and shake them and say, can't you see what you're doing? And if they were honest, they would say, no, I don't see it. But you know what they'll do is they'll just start arguing with you. I want to begin today with a rather humorous illustration Many of you know that my wife was trained as an opera singer. Jennifer is an incredible musician, and I tell her, I, I love you most when you're singing. She has the voice of an angel. I'm telling you, she's, she's really good. But her career, instead of going into the uh, full-blown opera, was as a teacher of choirs in the public school system. And she her choirs won all sorts of awards, etc. through the years. I mean, she's an incredible teacher as well. And I remember there was a particular time when our daughter was a teenager and she had a friend who wanted to try out for a lead in the high school play. They, they had a musical and he wanted to be uh, one of the lead singers. And so she asked her mother, uh, do you think it'd be okay for my friend to come over and get a couple of voice lessons for you from you because he wants to do the tryout? So she agreed. And so this fella came over into our living room. We have a little uh, baby grand piano in there that Jennifer started playing on and tried to get him to warm up and all. And my daughter and I were in the kitchen. We stayed out of the way and we were listening to all of this. And as this young man was standing there in the uh, living room trying to sing with my wife, it was clear as day he was totally tone deaf. Basically, he took one note and stayed on it, and he perfected that one note. She would kind of want him to go up and down with his scales, and he would go, ah. 
and he couldn't move beyond that. And she would try to get him to sing the song that he had selected, and he'd park on that one note and just could not get beyond that. And unfortunately, my daughter and I were um, in the kitchen just trying our best not to laugh out loud. I mean, it was awful. And and the sad thing was he didn't realize how tone deaf he was. I mean, he wanted to be one of the lead singers. Okay, that gives you an idea of how some people can have an oblivious uh, idea about who they are and what their skills are. Bless his heart. I mean, he's a, actually, he's a real nice guy. Uh, the young man wound up being a an Eagle Scout and, and has done well in his career. And also, just, he just can't sing. Anyway, uh, go, going back over into the world of narcissism, you can engage with people, and as you watch how they interact with other individuals, you can see this person doesn't get it. They're not managing things well at all. And then when you say, well, why don't we sit down and talk about this? Uh, I want to discuss this. Then they can't do it. They can't receive input. I, I recall another illustration. And this was shortly after my book on narcissism was published. A man that I had been talking with extensively about some of his family woes had picked up on the the book, and he was excitedly in my office talking with me about some of the things that he was learning from the book. And his comments were something to the effect of, wow, does this book so illustrate what my brother is all about? And he went on point by point saying, my brother's this, he does this, everything like you said in the book. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, actually, this book is describing you because <laughs> this fella had all sorts of in, in indicators that said said he wanted to be in high control and he was very self-impressed and uh, couldn't receive input. And he went on and on talking about his brother. So I tried to bring it back to himself and I said, well... I'm hoping that the book can cause you to realize how perhaps your entire family has had a certain influence over it. And and I know that you've come under some of the same influences as your brother. And this man's comment was, nah, I'm my own person and I'm just really thankful that I'm nothing like the rest of the, uh, my family. And as I would try to talk with him about the just point blank, the ingredients and the illustrations and examples of where his narcissism was, he kept taking it to other individuals. He could not see it within himself. Have you ever been around people that are like that? And I know it's frustrating. And I guess we might want to ask the question, is it possible that a person can be so blind to what's obvious to you that they simply cannot pull out of their dysfunction? And the answer is yes. Uh, narcissists are astonishingly low in self-awareness. Now, there's one really large factor that keeps them in this unaware and unapproachable kind of a mindset and that one factor is their victim status. And as long as they hold on to that status of them being a victim of what the world has done to them, then it, it acts kind of like a shield so that they cannot receive input from anyone else. Basically, narcissists think, well, if I have a problem, if you see something in me that doesn't seem to match what you would prefer, well, that's because it's somebody else's fault. So let's suppose, for example, you know, narcissists are very uh, inclined toward anger. Let's suppose that this narcissistic person that you're engaging with 
is an easily angered and agitated person, chronic impatience and annoyance. And so you point that out to, to that person. And so they're going to say, well, the reason I'm angry is because you didn't do this or that person over there didn't do it or uh, such and such didn't fall into place like I thought it was going to. And so they don't take responsibility because you see, it's not about me. It's about th those people out there. Or if they make a blunder or if they have a miscalculation or if they're, the, uh, they, they're having to uh, face some of the negative consequences from bad circumstances, it's always someone else's fault. And so by pointing out there to all those people and all those circumstances that have gotten them into the hole that they're in, they won't look in here. What this tells us is a narcissist thinks of himself or herself as a unique but misunderstood person. That's their identity. So they're the victim. The world out there has done them dirty, and if anything does happen negatively to them, they can actually acknowledge, yeah, negative things have happened and I haven't responded well. But then that next thing is, and look at what those people out there have done to me. I'm so misunderstood. If people just knew me and knew how to respond well to me, I wouldn't be having these problems. And so whatever input that you give them is going to bounce right off. Now, there's another element that goes along with this, and this is underneath that victimization status. Narcissists think adversarially, okay? And that's so important for you to recognize because when you are trying to talk with a narcissist about making adjustments, what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to think collaboratively. You're wanting to think in terms of one person sharing with another and having that back and forth, what well, we, we call it didactic communication. You share with me, I share with you, and we are able to glean from one another's wisdom. Narcissists can't do that. They think in terms of you being an adversary. That's part of that victimization mindset. And so when you say, hey, there's a problem, let's talk about it. And I want you to acknowledge that this is going on that needs to be different. They're thinking, well, I'm the good guy in this, in, in this equation. That's their starting point. And so then it leads them to say, therefore, if you're confronting me, you must be confronting me from the bad guy position. That's that adversarial mindset. And so what it means is before you even have a chance to speak, before you even have a chance to say, this is what my concerns are, you're already wrong. <laughs> you, that they have already dismissed you before you even speak. And so this adversarial me versus you mindset is going to be right there under the surface and it's going to um, come out in the open the minute you say there's a problem, we need to talk, and that's why you have a hard time getting through to them. Now, there's another element that goes into uh, the reason that narcissists simply cannot um, uh, pull out of their own narcissism is they have to have certainty. Now, uh, what this means is when you say, well, there's, there's a problem here, then immediately you're introducing doubt. You're introducing uh, vagueness or something that's just not quite inside that formula that they want to live according to, and they have to have certainty. And so your discussion with them about something that may be off base is interpreted as um, something that they can't uh, uh, go along with. Doubt to them means weakness. And so you're implying, hey, I'm, I'm having a struggle with you and, and uh, 
for them to say, well, okay, I want to hear that, that implies a type of strength just to be able to see it or, and to listen to you. And so uh, when they have to have certainty, uh, what it means is that when you come along and say, well, there's some things that we, we need to rethink, it's like, but that completely breaks down, that destroys my worldview, that destroys my starting place here. And at, uh, because of that, then they're unable to hear whatever you have to say. Now, in addition to all of this, another reason that they are unable to pull out of their narcissism is narcissists, by definition, are fear-based. Way back when I was actually, uh, I think it was, I was a sophomore or junior uh, in college. I was at Baylor University, and I was studying childhood development. One of the first things that was drilled into us is that it's in those first six years, and uh, actually it's more like the first four years or so of a child's life, the, uh, the capacity for trust is established or not. And uh, whenever you have a, a strong sense of trust with those who are closest to you as that little developing child, then that actually begins to give you a sense of confidence and a sense of openness, and it, uh, it serves you well, of course. Narcissists are fear-based because they never really learned how to trust. Now, they may have had parents that were available, particularly the golden child will tell you that, but... Um, as far as they're concerned, they, they look at the world wondering, what are you going to do to me? And can I really believe that you're going to be there and available for me? And so the, the budding narcissist grows up with lots of defenses in the way that they engage with people. And then they come into your world as an adult and that lack of trust, that fear and the defensiveness that goes along with it is intact. And so you come along and say, hey, there's something we need to talk about. And that fear kicks in. Oh, what are you going to do to me now? Are you going to be the next person that's going to disappoint me? And so instead of saying, I'd like to hear what you have to say, it's like, this isn't going to work well for me. So why would in the, in the world would I want to listen to you? Their fear and the defense that goes along with it inhibits them from being able to receive input. And I'm certain that there are plenty of times that you have tried to say something, maybe even just really simple, to that narcissistic person. You might say something like, hey, instead of doing this next time, maybe you can try that, and you can try to say it in a constructive way. And it's like, why are you always against me? You know, what is it about you that just feels like you have to come down on me? And it, it creates this fear reaction. Now, going right along with this, there's another element that keeps them stuck, where they can't pull out of their uh, narcissism. And that is not only are they fear-based, but they're also shame-based. Deep down inside the psyche of a narcissist is a self-loathing. Now, the vast majority of narcissists would look at me and say, well, Carter, you're an idiot. You have no idea what you're talking about. I don't have any loathing of myself. And they would just dismiss it, and they would dismiss it greatly. And, um, of course, what that does is just strengthens my understanding of where they're coming from. Narcissists have a great deal of shame that's associated with saying, I made a mistake. In other words, they so dislike the possibility that there's something wrong on the inside. That means that they have to be an awful person to admit a mistake or to admit the need for growth or adjustment. 
they cannot stand that side of themselves. That's what I mean when I say there's a self-loathing that they carry. And as a result, it's, it's a shame-based uh, way of thinking. They think in terms of judgment. So, for example, let, let's suppose you say to that narcissist, uh, I, I felt like you were being way too controlling and micromanaging when you and I were trying to do such and such together. Okay, and you're trying to give that person some feedback, whether it's at work or at home or where else it might be. And when that person comes back with the, with the stone wall, like, no, you can't talk to me that way, that's the self-loathing because it's their way of thinking, if I have to admit that I have a control issue, that means I'm an awful person. And so they despise that possibility within themselves. And so what they do is they flip it around and they project it onto you. And so they'll say, well, if anybody here has a problem, it's not me, it's you. And so they'll see in you what they can't see within themselves because they, uh, they can't take upon themselves any negatives because that scares them to death. And so, again, they are unable to receive any kind of input. And then in addition to that, we can also say that another reason narcissists are unable to pull out of their narcissism is that they make very heavy use of binary thinking. Now, you can tell from all the comments I'm making so far here today, they, they don't have a whole lot of nuance that they go into. And by that, I mean, uh, for example, let, let's suppose a person is... Uh, 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 that narcissistic individual is struggling with a critical attitude towards someone and you might come along and say, well, I know that this bothers you, although let's try to remember that they have this, this, and this. It's also positive. We're all a mixed bag. In other words, you try to bring them into the gray zone. It's like, no, uh, you're either with me or you're not with me. You're either good or you're bad. You're either high or you're low. And so in their binary thinking, they don't allow for the fact that we each have pluses and minuses. And we each have our moments where we shine. We each have moments where we don't shine. Nuance and uh, taking into account unique circumstances is not a part of the way that they engage. And as a result, uh, they have to have hard, hard proclamations. That goes back to what I was mentioning just a few minutes ago about their strong need for certainty. And then finally, we can also say that narcissists because of their manipulative and entitled and superior attitude are already predisposed to see you as an unenlightened person, okay? So you come along and you say, well, I have some input that I'd like to share with you, or there's some things that I think would be helpful for you to know. And their immediate response is, well, what do you know? No, you're not going to tell me anything that I, that I need to hear. And an enlightened person is someone that will explain some things in ways that can help you grow. Whereas for a narcissist, they see an enlightened person as someone who thinks like me. And so if you don't think like them, like them in their superiority, it's like, well, then you can't be right. Uh, you're unenlightened. And so the, uh, the deck is loaded against you before you even have a chance to start. Now, I want you to notice what happens to you. When you can see a person's narcissism, uh, it's kind of like that guy that had read the book and the only thing he could see was uh, the brother. And uh, you see that person's narcissism and you want to bring it back in a constructive and uplifting way to say, hey, why don't we, do we talk about this? Why don't we discuss what's going on here so that you and I can have better coordination? What happens to you when you keep running into those brick walls that they throw up? 
Well, and, and this is where you're going to have to just uh, be honest about your contributions to some of the negatives that are there with between yourself and the narcissist. Many times when you run into these brick walls, you can't leave well enough alone. And so sometimes you'll go into your com, com, uh, complaining mode. Sometimes you'll go into your convincing mode and you find yourself, listen to your tone of voice. You find yourself being more persuasive and insistent in the way that you speak. Come on, I've got to get you to understand this. And not one single time is that narcissist going to say, well, upon further review, I guess I'll pull back and consider what you had to say. When you go into this convincing and pleading kind of mode, it doesn't work. But the temptation is so strong because you know that you're seeing things accurately, just like I was seeing things accurately with that guy who read my book and all he could see with his brother, but I knew he had the problem too. And yet, uh, you can't convince somebody of something they don't want to know. Uh, by the way, uh, there, there's a little ditty that I like to use. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Whenever you do try to get somebody to be convinced against their own willpower, they may just say, okay, okay, just to shut you up. But on the inside, it's like, I'm not convinced. I'm just saying that just to get you off my back. And so you, you can make the mistake of trying to plead and persuade. Another mistake that you can make when these narcissists refuse to receive your input is you can find yourself being caught in circular arguments. Because narcissists are so naturally inclined toward anger, they're probably going to have a strong, angry reaction to you if you say, let's talk, or I've noticed something that bothers me, let's put that on the table. And so when you do say that, they're probably going to come back at you with some form of anger themselves. And they can yell at you. They can uh, do what I call the boomerang communication. Me, what about you? They'll flip it back onto you. They can become very hostile sometimes. They can go into rages. They can scream or they can uh, be passive aggressive. They can do all sorts of things. And I've, I've heard so many stories. And when I say so many stories, hundreds upon hundreds of stories of people who will have these long and drawn out arguments that go absolutely nowhere. And then there can be these long uh, uh, periods of time where there's this scorn and uh, agitation and disdain and contempt that's there just hanging in the air. You can play that game, and all it does is it sullies you because the narcissist is simply, by definition, not willing to receive your input. Uh, another thing that you can do when you want to confront, you say something to the narcissist about their narcissism, they don't receive it. Another thing is um, in response to their predictable attacks toward you, you can go too deeply into your own justification mode. You can feel like, well, I'm explaining myself over and over and over, and so you have to rationalize why it's okay for you to think and feel as you do. You have to give 14 illustrations about why what you're saying is is accurate. And again, whenever you go into this justification and rationalization mode, it doesn't really impress the narcissist. All the narcissist does is they're thinking, well, the game's still going and I'm still going to play it. And so what happens is your anger will creep in and it'll just remain in you and you find yourself to be someone who has all of this irritability and the narcissist will look at you and say, see, look at you. <laughs> the reason I can't take input from you is because you're so messed up in your head. 
And of course, the narcissist walks away thinking, well, whatever it was that you were uh, wanting to tell me, well, it's clearly wrong. Look how much of an idiot you are. And so you can't really afford to get caught up in your dysfunction in reverse to the narcissist's dysfunction. And we go back to that statement that I made, the, uh, the primary ingredient that keeps narcissists from uh, being able to admit their own narcissism is their victim status. They see the world in almost paranoid kind of ways. Uh, it's like no one understands me like me, and no one cares about me other than me. And so I listen to no one besides myself. I take input from no one beyond myself, and that's their starting point. They see the world as a place that's going to screw them over. And so when you come along and say, I have something helpful to share with you, their thinking is not going to happen. So we go back and we ask, you know, why is it that they just can't pull out of it? The patterns that, that define narcissism can be so deeply entrenched, and they were there before you ever showed up on the scene, that here you try to bring common sense and insight and awareness and collaboration and empathy to the equation, and you may as well be speaking a foreign language to that person because they're just simply not predisposed to be able to hear whatever it is you have to say. And then like that, like that tone-deaf teenage boy that just didn't realize how far off base he was because he wanted to be the lead singer, the narcissist can think, now, in the midst of all of my tone-deaf way of doing life, I'm going to be in charge. I want to be the lead singer here. And you're over there thinking, how in the world did you get to that, draw that conclusion? And the narcissist thinks, because it's me. And because I have to step in and make sure everything goes right because the, the rest of you idiots out there are not going to do it, that's how they think. And so as you see this and you realize that the level of self-awareness is so absurdly low, it's going to cause you to have to come to terms with certain things as you engage with them. And that is um, the bottom line is... Um, even if you can't discuss the problem of narcissists with a, a narcissist, you still see what you see. And what that says is you need to trust yourself. Listen to what you're saying. Listen to what you're noticing uh, and, and don't back away from it. Uh, it, uh, it may be that that narcissist will never uh, get it, but you can get it. And then that being the case, you also are going to have to come to terms with the fact that their inability to have an adult conversation with you, in other words, they stay stuck in their childishness, is uh, it just proves that you're on target with your observations. These individuals are developmentally stunted. They will respond to you in a very childish kind of way where it's kind of like, uh, I can't believe that you're making my life so miserable. Kind of like the kid on the playground that just doesn't like that Johnny didn't agree with him. And so they go whining and crying and griping. That's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a person who has not developed beyond grade school thinking. The narcissist is destined to a life of emptiness, unfortunately. They're destined to a life of loneliness. They're destined to a life where they esteem themselves based on all sorts of false criteria that's where they are. So as you ponder that question, why can't they pull out of their narcissism? 
you hear guys like me and we can explain this and so it's uh, and and it makes sense but it's going to be incumbent upon you to say well if that's the case then I guess I'm going to have to adjust my expectations and the answer is right that's exactly what you're going to need to do you're not going to be able to connect on any meaningful level with someone who is unable to examine himself or herself and uh, what it means is the relationship with that narcissist if you're going to continue in a relationship at all, is going to be shallow at best. So hold on to these insights and awarenesses. And I'm hoping that even if that person in front of you is incapable of making healthy adjustments, you can adjust who you are and you can adjust how you're going to respond to them. Because right here on Team Healthy, what we want to do is stand for dignity, respect, and civility. And we're going to do so even if that other person says, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or worse, I do it all the time. You're the one that doesn't know what you're talking about. In other words, they just don't get it. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to go ahead and stay inside my steadiness and my healthiness. And Mr. or Mrs. Narcissist, if you can't join me, then I'm, I'm committed to what I know is wisest and best anyway. So I hope this gives you some good things to think about. And I will uh, get back with you very soon with the next episode. And uh, we have plenty of resources that are available. And, and if you'll look at the bio section and the explanation description section, you'll find out that we have all sorts of things to offer for you. And I hope that uh, you'd make yourself available to all of that. Team Healthy, I'm so pleased that you allow me to be on your journey with you. And I will see you next time.